I just noticed that. How are you doing? <laughs> Not great. Not great. Because you know how they do like the first three or four letters of your last name and your first initial? It literally is called oh, yeah. COVID. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's oh, been yeah. two years of interesting. That's for sure. You're on the, the Delta screens, you know, upgrading the first class is COVID. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's absolutely terrible. Uh, when I first saw that, I was like, come on. We need to be doing that, a podcast that combines sports, social media, content, and life. I'm Jonah Ballow. I'm Keith Steckler. I'm Elliot Gerard. We Need to Be Doing That is a Heartland Group production. Come on. We need to be doing that. On this episode, we're super excited to talk to Kelly Brooks and Daniela Kovic of Quarter 4. We're going to get into sports betting, artificial intelligence, the future of sports, and the future of sports betting, which I know the three of us are super excited to talk about. Kelly, Daniela, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank Great you. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks. So obviously we want to focus on quarter four and what you both have been up to recently. But if you could just um, help us understand from the beginning, where did you guys grow up? Um, a little bit about your backstory and how you came together as quarter four. Yeah, um, Kelly here. So I'll kick that off and then um, Daniela will definitely have her input too. Uh, so grew up, we are outside of Toronto. Um, I grew up in a small town called Stovall, uh, a hockey town, as we would call it. Um, smaller towns, because it's just what everyone, every uh, little town in Canada, they have an arena, and it's where everybody spends all weekend. Um, it's busy, and it's full of Tim Hortons coffee drinkers, and people are there from five in the morning until midnight watching every level of hockey. Uh, so it's very ingrained in the culture. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, moved out to Guelph, which again is another hockey just outside of Toronto. Um, it, uh, my background is technology entrepreneur. I ran my first startup um, outside of Waterloo, which is a tech hub. And focused on progressive technology for 10 years. We started with BlackBerry mobile applications. And I always joke about this. We built, um, with my first company, Speakville, we built NFTs like six years ago. Um, and they're just starting to become popular now. So really big fan of um, solving, um, you know, issues with technology uh, progressing there. And with my first company, that's where I first met Daniela. And uh, she came in uh, to help me with, with revenue and sales. And right away, we connected. And we worked together for four years in my first company. And we just had this yin to the yang. And we just fed off each other like, like no one's business. And it's one, it's very, you're very lucky to stumble across that as a founder, to find a co-founder that has your passion and your drive. But you fill in each other's, um, you know, different skill sets. So we sat down one day and, and we were like, if we could build a product, what would it be? And around that time, AI, artificial intelligence was becoming a really discussed topic. And at the same time, the Toronto Raptors made the um, uh, run for the championship. So we pulled a couple of my cream of the crop developers over and said, hey, for fun, Let's see if we can try out some of this AI stuff and predict how Kyle Lowry is going to do. 
um, in the playoffs because he's my favorite athlete of all time. Um, and Daniela was right on board because she loves sports. And hey, we built this cool little feature and it predicted that the Raptors would win the playoffs. And ever since then, since 2019, we have built this massive platform. Uh, so that's kind of the background on, on where we are and how we landed to today. And what at what point in the playoffs was that prediction made? So uh, Daniela here, I guess I can kind of jump into it. So we actually were able to uh, predict that they were going to take the playoffs um, in the second round. Um, so as they were progressing, I mean, nobody expected that Kawhi shot to come in. And that was kind of the savior um, of that year. But quite frankly, quarter four and the infrastructure we had at that time was really pushing for it. And it drew out in how many games uh, they were going to win that, you know, whether or not the series was going to go all the way or if they're going to clear it and then ultimately take the championship. And as the playoffs were progressing, um, we were obviously ticking off and looking at the results and we're going, oh my goodness, like this is actually happening right now. Like it's actually calling the right games and it's favoring in the right direction. So, so that was kind of where we had that aha moment as Kelly was mentioning. Yeah, that's super interesting. I just, I bring that up because I would assume your model takes into account injuries, right? Because Kevin Durant goes down in the finals. We would assume if a fully healthy Golden State Warriors team would have beat that Raptors team. Yep. Uh, you know what? I would have to agree with you. Uh, the assumption would be there, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, one of the, the biggest uh, components of our modeling and our AI infrastructure is in fact um, that we take all of the players on court, field, ice, and then the opposing team. Injuries have a lot to do with it, who's playing, who's on a hot streak. A lot of these uh, components is a massive factor on what the outcome's gonna be. Was there a specific reason that the, the intelligence came up with that? Because I, I do agree with with Jonah. If you know Clay Thompson doesn't go down, they probably lose. I, I still think Kawhi would have had a shot, but um, <laughs> there's, so, no so, there's no bias. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's no. um, and this is one of the beauties behind this because we are so strictly um, numerical. It is all based on statistics. There is no human input. We can't tell the model to favor a team because of the location. Um, there is obviously, um, there is a component to it, which we noticed during COVID, it was lacking of, and it does, wasn't really a requirement, but home court advantage was a big, um, a big kind of decider on because of the audience and where they're located and the lack of travel or therefore the amount of travel. Um, during COVID, obviously, that was kind of taken away because uh, the rinks were empty, the courts were empty. Um, but there is no bias and that's kind of the idea of this modeling where when we look at it and we looked at it from a technological standpoint, we wanted to make sure there was no human interference. We wanted to build it right from ground up and put the data and allow it to make its own decisions um, based again on the statistics trends, what the teams are doing, who's hot right now, where it's trending. And uh, that was kind of the, the decision behind the modeling. This is so great that we're having this conversation because I, I can nerd out over this for hours because I think there's two separate buckets that this data can be used for, right? And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. You're the experts. 
But there's one is a gambling set, right? There's people who are making predictions. Even let's take the money aside from the gambling on the spreads and all those elements. There's predictions that are made on a team just to win. And ESPN and all the major outlets are using that too. Then there's the gambling uh, group. And and I don't know if you guys are aware of Warren Sharp. He has a computer model that uh, takes into account um, overs and unders prop bets. And and he sells this as a package. His computer model, I believe, says that there are 63% all time. So if you buy his package, you just uh, trail his bets. You're going to be uh, at a winning clip. There's that section. Then there is the actual data section. And and my time working at the New York Knicks um, and analytics were beginning to be developed as an actual department within basketball operations, where teams now are trying to merge the data sets. And there, this is a big debate amongst you know the sports community of. Are, are we too much into the analytics? And, you know, we can see it playing out in the NFL right now in the two-point conversions, when to go for it on a fourth down, right? It's a very interesting conversation because there's human element and then there's the data and what tells you. And one thing, and I'd like to get, this is a roundabout way of getting your opinion and thoughts on this, is how do you have a human element of feel and touch for a moment in a game? but also still relying on the data. And I'm going to point to the Chargers and Brandon Staley, the the head coach there, and there was moments where he's like, I'm going to continually go for it on a fourth down because that's what the data tells me. And if we deviate from the data, it's going to skew our approach. But there are people on the other side of it that played football for generations and, and feel there's very much a moment in time momentum that you probably can't calculate with data that a head coach has to make that decision or a player has to make a split second decision. So again, sorry for a long winded question here, but I wanted to get all those, all that information out of my brain and ask your opinion on on where you sit and and feel about those two different uh, mindsets. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, um, this is a really interesting topic because we just did um, a panel uh, in December in New Jersey uh, and sat on that panel with uh, some people from Yahoo and and ESPN. And there's a real uh, theme of convergence happening right now uh, across the industry. Convergence between media, team, betting, and all of this convergence is driven by data combined with expertise. So a lot of people are like, oh, you guys are trying to replace all the human analysts. And we're no, Mm -hmm. no, we're not. We are providing the cleanest, predictive, non-emotional, non-biased data that we can. And that can be boosted by your analysts, by those with experience. So if you combine those two pieces, you have a very powerful output. So I think moving forward, you're not going to just see one or the other. I think that hand in hand, um, the output that comes out of those conjoined pieces, it's remarkable. Uh, So I'm not sure if that answers some of what you're thinking. No, and I'm in agreement with you, right? And I've always thought, why are we sectioning off as the the data is one set of you know, people go on on that side of the um, of the ledger, and then the other is like, no, it's always got to be you know the old school football or basketball style that you, you just make the decisions on the court with a feel and a momentum and an education of it. You know, so specifically when I was at the Knicks, the real convergence that you're talking about, and to me, where I I, I started to understand the value and and 
where it can be applied. There would be specific assistant coaches that would be taking in the data, extrapolating out subsets of what is happening on the court, and then translate that to a player on the court. So the example would be, hey, Kristaps Porzingis, on the left side of the court by the elbow, you're shooting 72%. When you go to the right side of the elbow, you drop to 30%. You are way more efficient at this side of the court, and the defense hasn't yet uh, adjusted to where you are. You can learn from a defensive standpoint where a player is going to drive. LeBron James likes to use his left hand. He's going to be going to his left 80% of the time. You shade him off of that side of the court, bring him to his right. We have a better chance, right? Is this kind of where you guys see it as well? Is this converging not only from the two data sets, but also a way to translate it so that the player on the court can now understand why the the game plan has adjusted to bring in the data that they're they're um, you know tabulating throughout the course of the season. Absolutely, and and I think you've kind of nailed it here, right? It's one of those things that a we want to be a, a supporting factor, and that's what we are. We've always mentioned that that's what we are going to be and continue to be, but it's also helping understand those trends and because the the sheer magnitude of the infrastructure that we currently have, AI in general, the ability to spit out so much information, track everything every millisecond, you're able to produce that information even in game. So you can show the players, you can show the audiences of what's expected next and where it's coming from and what are those trends that are causing these factors. Is it a significant injury on court um, or is it, something crazy like what you were just bringing up earlier about the Chargers and the Raiders. I mean, quite frankly, that was just an insane game. I was watching it and depending on who you're listening to from a commentator standpoint, emotion, they're like, what are they doing? And then they're saying analytically, yeah. oh, well, they should be doing this. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was so confusing. It was hours of listening to commentators that have been doing this for 20, 30 years and didn't know what to say anymore. They're like, we don't know what they're going to do next. And so it's one of those things, combining those two mind frames and kind of having that output, as Kelly was saying, to make that educated decision and then to help understanding where the decision is coming from. Now, with your data, are you working with or in partnership with the sports books? Are you helping shape their lines or are you more for the people who are trying to you know, take down the books every weekend? Our data is used um, how people want to use it. So we have customers or clients in the media space. So um, if, if you look at the, the betting sports betting arena right now, the, the focus is on acquisition of um, betters and retainment of betters. And how are you going mm -hmm. to do that? You need to build loyalty. How do you build loyalty? It's personalized content. So we have a whole, you know, media approach where we're like, you can use, uh, trending players, you can use, um, you know, um, unexpected breakout players, you can use some of our game content and different things to start personalizing content to your target audience, whether they're a fan or a better or a fan that may eventually cross over into betting. So that's one area that we go after. Um, and then yes, the other one is what you're talking about is for the books, you know, providing those betting lines, providing um, spread over under, you know, predictive analysis. Uh, so that's another 
um, area that we target. And the one thing that our, our platform is doing right now is play-by-play predictive analysis. So we're predicting um, every five to eight seconds during a game um, what the player is going to do on the court, the field, or the ice. So that is really appealing to groups that are doing streaming media. They're like, how do we you know, apply that uh, predictive analysis to uh, media that's happening right now? So you know, our data can be used because, you know, on any given Sunday, when we have our five leagues running, we're predicting over 2 million times a day. <laughs> um, wow. So the magnitude of that data, whether it's trending players, props, uh, over, under, in-game betting, it can be used across the board, um, whether you're trying to capture fans or betters. And this is a big thing, too. And we're discussing, you know, with with Heartland Group internally of working with potential editorial um you know, gambling sites that are, that are putting out information. I think there is, uh, it's challenging for a common gambler to understand the reasoning behind a line or a prop bet, right? There is the data that you're talking about too, but we have to also uh, put out there that sports books will make a bet, right? They will say, we understand money or tickets and money would signal that, uh, sharp betters, you know, the the syndicates or people with a ton of money, professional gamblers, essentially, are betting a lot on the side. The number of bets would be public bets because they're not going to be, you know, betting as much per bet. So there's two of those sections, but the sports books at times will not move a line and have sort of a hedge to not necessarily say we care about getting 50-50 split on this. We might be at a 60 65 split and we're making a bet if we lose if if this favorite wins or covers we're screwed we're going to lose millions and millions of dollars so that does happen right and i think that's important caveat to put out there because i think people are just now jumping in new york went and and became legal and there's a lot there's a flood of people gambling but i think there should be an understanding of why lines move it's not always just the prediction of the outcome it is also a bet or a hedge with with those things in mind. Am I correct in assessing that and what you guys have seen from the sports books? Or do you think it's maybe sort of shifting out of that element where books are a little uh, less old-fashioned and maybe moving into the space where they, they're going to use the data to drive all their decision-making? No, I, uh, I think you're right on. You've definitely nailed it. I mean, there's still old-school books and casinos are the system and the process is still there. And it is definitely under the concept that you've just described. The change and the shift essentially of what we're seeing so far and the conversations that we're having in this industry is they are going uh, towards that more of a data element. It's not going to tailor their decisions or their lines by 100%, but they are looking for more endpoints to definitely um, make a more educated, well-rounded decision, and then to boot a, a quicker one. Um, at the end of the day, the books are using a lot of data, but there's still a component of the human making that final decision on what's going to be happening with these lines and odds. Um, so it's just more so empowering those humans to make a quicker decision, a more educated, well-rounded one. So it, there's definitely a shift going towards that, but they still have the old school standpoint that you've just described. And I think it's still here to stay for a little bit um, before we see a massive shift in the market. 
I um I, I recently saw something that I, that I found really interesting that I want to get your take on and see if you guys are involved. Um, there's like stock markets now that are being built ab- around um, investing in players in real time, uh, which I found really interesting. And it, it's I, I think it's like it is gambling, but it's a different kind. It's almost like fantasy gambling, but like with a stock exchange mm-hmm. um, uh, element to it. Uh you know, I, I don't really know much about the details, but I wanted to know if that's something that you guys are um, working with. <clears throat> it's definitely a trend in the industry. Like you have peer to peer, there's a lot of social involvement, and then you have these companies, um, these a lot of startups in this space that are, are doing this replication of, of, of the stock market. Um, so there's a lot of organizations that are, are starting up and trending in that matter. Um, what that means to us is that in that situation, our data would be utilized um, as a, a source for people looking at that. Uh, perhaps our prop data, our predictive analysis, um, you know, the historical play on the player so that they can build their teams and, and do their investments. I mean, in the end, it's just like fantasy. It is fantasy. It's like, what's the best player to put in at this moment in time for this value? And they've just uh, made it more socially um, driven and as well targeting this um, new younger audience. And they're trying to say, how can we draw this new audience into this space um, instead of the typical old school um, looking at a table and trying to figure out, um, you know, different things. Um, the new generations look at data differently and, and they look at interaction differently. And you need to have a more quickly paced um, interface for people to engage with. And that's where a lot of this is coming from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I almost feel like you guys could be, if if this gets bigger, I almost feel like you guys could be that, that you know, for investors, they could be um, headed towards you guys rather than directly to the, I don't know the their their interface. Um, I just find it interesting because it's like I don't know if the players are, are are getting anything out of this, and they're becoming a commodity. I mean, they're on the market. It just seems very to me. It seems very interesting. Maybe it, it'll lead to something where the players are getting uh, a share of that. But um, you sound jealous, Elliot. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish <laughs> I wish people could invest in me as I'm as I'm creating a project. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would say their their salary contract is is the investment that they get off, yeah. of, off of this. Yeah, 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 of course. But it's like I, it, you're saying it's a stock exchange, and I and I know I'm derailing, so we can get back on it. But you're saying it's a stock exchange, and it's not like a company that that goes on the you know goes public. It's it's a player. So wouldn't the player be the company that's going public? I don't know. I, I'll stop. You know that what today. though. I, I, I kind of hear where you're coming from. I, I do also agree. I think their salaries, contracts, and all the endorsements that they make millions of dollars on um, is it, kind of what puts them out there. I, the problem here is that it, they're still trying to work through that, right? Um, this, the, the new concept that you're talking about, as Kelly's mentioned, we've seen a number of companies attempt this. I still haven't seen a successful execution yet, not the one that's exploded. Um, so once there is one that actually corners the market and this concept actually goes somewhere, I have a feeling they may not give the players some kickback, but I could see this being almost, uh, again, like another endorsement publicity mm-hmm. kind of stunt where they're, they're, yeah. the players are getting something out of it from a marketing perspective, some shares, 
and otherwise uh, I don't I don't think the players will be anything out of it in general but I feel like it's going to be like a marketing ploy for them but again I haven't seen one that's quite hit the mark yet that's the problem there's been a lot of concept um, a lot of companies out there and I think it's an amazing concept it just has to get picked up and it's combining that um, kind of stock market world gambling world and now you have to teach these players how to essentially assess both, especially uh, your younger crowds who aren't really well-versed in the stock market yet. So now they're having to learn two concepts. And, and I feel yeah. like maybe that's where the disconnect is, trying to figure out how to get them educated quicker. I do think it's going to become something at some point. It, it just seems like such an interesting thing. I, and I agree with you on the on the big contracts. If they did it with college players, though, however, like with uh, the NA, NIL stuff, there there could be something there where they're getting, um, you know, a, a share of it potentially, but I hope, yeah, uh, I, I, I hope, hope so. For college. Yeah. And education, um, just to go off a little bit, um, we see it the same with esports, right? Yep. During COVID esports had a huge ramp up, like the investment into esport companies was incredible. And then tying that back to betting because you can bet on esports, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so they did this and there was a huge ramp up for one month. And then they figured out that traditional sports bettors didn't, couldn't figure out how to bet on esports because the best way to bet on esports is actually playing esports and understanding what you can actually bet on. So, you know, there was this big movement to say, how can we educate the traditional better on how they can bet on esports to close that gap up? Um, and I still mm -hmm. think that's a really big struggle. Struggle. So I think that education piece um, within this industry is massive. So one thing that we found with esports, and something that we are trying to uh, get through right now, because it's something that we want to tackle uh, for. It, we have been for the last three years. We wanted to, is the actual data. Where lacks, which is interestingly enough, it's based on technology. It doesn't have enough data. It doesn't have enough quality data in comparison to live sports. So it really, the decision-making matrix is, I feel like, more of a risk because you don't have enough uh, information to back it up, or at least not enough clean data yet. So that's where I'm coming in, from my opinion. Whether or not that's factual, I, I couldn't tell you. Which one's more scare? Daniela, Kelly, do you guys gamble? Yes. We gamble. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, go ahead. Build on that. Tell me. Well, you know, if you're going to go after a sports betting market, you better be putting some money down on something. Um, Thank you. I love that. It, right? Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, for us, and I mean, both Kelly and I, I mean, I, Kelly, you could speak for yourself. But for me, it's more of a fun approach. I haven't put my house up for, you know, any sort of bet <laughs> yet. I haven't quite got there yet, but it's more fun. It's more the entertainment perspective. I love the idea of gambling and looking at it as purely entertainment. Um, it's a lot of fun, right? To me, it's cheap or expensive entertainment, depending on how much you're pulling out of your wallet that night. <laughs> yeah. um, but have a good, you know, having a good time with it. And I just, I love testing what we're doing. And what are the outcomes? I, I love seeing, you know, how much am I actually winning following, you know, the, the quarter four predictions uh, amongst other things and, and kind of do a comparison. So far, I have to say I have been successful, but I will say that I am not gambling every night off of quarter four. I, I have to sit back and do a lot of work on the company side and we're running it and building it every single day. So, Do you ever deviate from the data? Meaning like, yeah. 
of course. Oh, I have a gut feeling about I emotional a, I feeling about the spread. Yeah, emotional. <laughs> emotional. Uh, I call it the chase where I'm chasing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I, and Danielle and I, there's so many times where we'll look at what we're predicting and I'll be like, Oh my God, don't they know that this player is coming back tonight and everyone's so excited and, and it uh, ends up not mattering in the end. Uh, but I'm that's part of the fun too, that. right? Think, yeah, uh, it is. And um, I think moving forward, I think micro betting is really cool. Like betting on, you know, who's going to, you know, what's going to happen with the next pitch and what's going to happen with the next uh, three point attempt. Like, that's the stuff that I really like. I would love like dropping five bucks on that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then March madness, like bracket, like I'm a huge college basketball fan. And I'm like, who doesn't put down money on March madness? Come on. Right. So um, we definitely um, partake and, and like what Daniela said for me, it's definitely entertainment. It's to uh, remain you know, aware of what's going on in the industry and to uh, obviously test our product. But yeah, it's a good time. I, I love micro betting. I, uh, one of my favorite movies is, is Focus uh, with, with Will Smith, mm. where he, uh, yeah. in that ultimate scene where he's betting um, what number the guy, like what, what player the guy um, uh, picks in his head uh, to, for like, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And he does it, you know, he finds a way to cheat the system to, to actually predict it. But um, yeah, I think micro betting is, is, uh, well, there's is also awesome. a strategy to live betting. You know, I think that there's, you can look at a spread and say, I don't like where it sits now, but there's an indication of where I think this will go in the mid middle of the game, which takes an, a, a huge account of momentum swing. Um, you know, I felt in the national championship game, honestly, I took the live bet on Alabama. I already had them on a side, but I took them after the first couple yeah. drives because I thought Georgia looked scared. They looked like they were, um, feeling the pressure against an Alabama team. Now, obviously it's swung the other way and that's, this is why we love sports. So this is why mm -hmm. it's so cool. There's two elements to the game, but, uh, there's something that your eyes can tell you as well, right? That the data maybe can't quickly adjust it. Well, I guess I shouldn't say the data can't quickly adjust you because it probably can. I'm saying more of the line moving in the middle of the game. Um, but there, there are some sharp people out there who feel that there might be a little bit of a gap or an opportunity in the live gambling space uh, because it, there's not enough time, you know, to make the, the quicker adjustments by the books. I don't know if that's true or not. Yes. Yeah, you nailed that one too. Um, absolutely. So our so our inputs are actually coming in, as Kelly was mentioning, five to eight seconds. But we're seeing that issue with the books. That's something that they haven't been able to ramp up. So I think there are some books that can maybe transmit in very small cases after 15 seconds to actually move the line. Most likely they're between 30 seconds and two minutes in game. That is a significant chunk of time where you're not yeah. making the adjustment. So taking advantage of that a little bit as the books are ramping up um, and improving that transmission and that latency uh, is definitely something I think a lot of people are also having some success in, especially as you're saying, if they can watch it and see a trend changing or having data tell them otherwise the trend's changing and, and why is it changing and because obviously switch their bet. In your opinion, why do you think football is – I'm going to say the best sport to gamble on because I think that, you know, we see the numbers, right? March Madness obviously does a tremendous amount. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but from a, I believe that that it's shown that the football college and NFL is um, raking in the highest amount of dollars and amount of bets against the other sports. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts or opinions on maybe if that's true or not, or 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 why that would be the case? Yeah, for, for football, uh, for me, the way I look at it is two things. Uh, with football, it's a bit slower, but every single drive counts, right? Whereas in basketball and hockey, um, you are running across court, you're skating across rank, it might amount to absolutely nothing. Where in football, every drive, there's something that's actually happening, whether you're gaining yards, losing yards, there's a conversion, um, uh, whatever the case might be. And it's slow enough that I feel like you can make almost a bet on every single um, action that happens. The other thing about football, which is very interesting to me, and the other leagues are coming up to this, there are more statistics in football than any other league right now, just based on the historical recording, what they've kind of been doing. And I know baseball is right there too, but football literally has every single point of the game currently recorded, which makes it super interesting for anybody that's following the sport. And of course, being America's sport. I mean, that's the other part too. I think everybody watches football at some point or another. Um, so it, that's the excitement. At least that's kind of where I'm coming from and thinking why football is the the best sport to bet on and the most exciting right now. But yeah. is that is that a local thing? Is that America? Like if you're in Europe, are you betting on, on um, soccer? It's uh, gotta soccer? be. Much more. It's soccer it's be. and cricket. Cricket is... Um, really big um, globally. But if you look at a, an American sport going globally from a betting perspective, NBA is yeah. up there. NBA is a global sport. It has a young audience right mm, now. They're focused on player. That's why player props are becoming a really uh, important facet of betting within the NBA. Because um, again, you're looking at that, that younger target audience that are betting on the NBA. And it is a global sport. Um, yeah. You have people in, you know, Asia betting on basketball. You have people in Europe betting on basketball. It's just this sport that globally makes sense to everybody. Yeah, it does it. And, and I have another one for you guys, tennis. Um, when it comes to gambling, mm. tennis actually covers just over 10% of all bets coming in globally, which is massive. That is a huge wow. figure. And tennis is cornering that market. Um, on, on the global betting market, and it's quite interesting that they're bringing in that many eye, eyeballs. Does that is, does um, that um, uh, correlate to the audience? Because I I would imagine I unless globally I I wouldn't know the numbers, but obviously here in the states, you know, tennis doesn't attract that big of an audience. No, it's definitely uh, overseas. Um, yeah, I agree uh -huh. with you. The North America in general doesn't really attract that much tennis, but tennis itself globally. So you're talking about obviously Europe, Africa, Asia, um, other continents that are really bringing up tennis. What about um, uh, sports like F1? Is that something mm -hmm. like it seems like a strange sport to, uh, you know, compared to the others? But, um, you know, that's such a historical sport and, uh, um, you know, one that's very popular in, in Europe. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, there's F1 and there's NASCAR, right? NASCAR is going through a massive overhaul just from even, um, you know, it's it's the global perception and the North American perception of what NASCAR is. So really pushing that 
that branding forward and using digital and using analysis. And it's definitely, um, it's something that's in the works. Um, you know, NASCAR is really looking to step it up and get into this game. And, and Danielle and I always say um, with quarter four, we would love to do the machine predicting the machine. Um, so it's definitely on our radar. And I mean, everybody watched that Netflix documentary about F1. I think that's picked up a, a whole other few notches of popularity mm-hmm. too. So it's quite interesting. Where else do you see, I mean, this will be my final question of, you know, where this is going and, and what we can look out for in the future. Uh, I think there's so many opportunities from a content perspective. Obviously, you know, the the broadcast partners starting to jump on board now. It's okay to talk about the lines and everybody's not going to freak out even though you go to Las Vegas and it's okay. Um, <laughs> that's my soapbox moment there. But where do we think this is going? Where do we think, um, you know, this will continue to evolve to in, in your guys' opinion? Wow. Um, there's interesting. Um, it's an interesting question because there's always these um, battles within the industry right now because you want to push progression and you want to push betting content, but you don't also over want to overwhelm and oversaturate. So I think um, the most interesting moves will be on groups that control media, that control content, and can differentiate the experiences for the different target markets that are engaging in, in this sport. And I think data plays a massive role in that. So I think moving forward, um, not unlike, you know, um, the dot-com piece where you had a bunch of, you know, old antiquated systems being just pushed forward by technology, I think that the betting space and the U.S. and North American betting space, including Canada, where we've just passed bills here too, that is, it's going to become a, a major market. Um, I think that data, I think that gamification, user interface, um, pushing fans into the betting space, all being regulated properly because, you know, staying away from that, the taboo of it. I think those are all pieces um, that are going to be major focuses and and states are going to continuously um, come on board, right? So I think with all of that movement, there's going to be a lot of uh, requirements to get technology up to snuff, get regulation up to snuff, and at the same time, acquire and retain, um, you know, new betters and current betters. So it's going to be a really interesting journey over the next couple of years, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. With absolutely Kelly. stole my question, Jonah. Just yeah. want to put that. Uh, I think I, I think yeah. I stole the podcast. Um, we're gonna have, to have a follow up with with the yeah. team here because I could talk hours about this stuff while yeah. I'm looking at my FanDuel account and placing another wager. Um, so, yeah, he is he is our resident um, uh, degenerate. Degenerate, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, this this industry, and I think you know. Listen, you said taboo, and, and in all seriousness, I really wholeheartedly believe this that it's been a ridiculous thing we do in this country where we pick and choose what is you know morally right or wrong and you could go to one place in the in in the state in, in the country and, and it's fine there it's legal uh but in other places it's not and i think we're finally kind of stripping that away and uh yes there's a responsibility but i i really look at sports gambling just like if you're playing uh the stock market and a day trader um, so I'm glad that we're, we're having these conversations and we're unveiling sort of the data and, and, and the reasons behind why lines are, how to bet it, you know, the best way to go about it and obviously not lose your, your house over it. But um, the same can be said about 
a lot of other things in people's lives. But I think gambling now is is starting to move to the forefront. That and cannabis, these are the two industries that that I think we've all talked about it before are, are the biggest ones right now in this country that are gaining steam. And also the tax money that gets back into the mm-hmm. to the states mm-hmm. is huge. So anyways, that's again my soapbox. I'll I'll hand it back to Keith now. I'll keep talking. <laughs> I think um, I think that the idea of gambling being just fun, you know, where people are doing it, not really like more more like doing fantasy football is right. something that I don't f- feel like there's it was such a heaviness with gambling because I don't know people thought of uh, you know people's legs getting broken or whatever with, with bookies, mm-hmm. um, but now I think a lot of people see it as uh, fantasy football where hey I could win some money I could lose some money but like it's not it's not about like trying to chase that huge payday no and it's it's going it's competing with your friends like look at this it's the double screen experience i'm watching the game i've got my phone i can throw down some mobile bets and at the end of the game who won what like it's this just whole new social level on top of that right um so you know with regulation comes compliance comes Mm -hmm. safeguards um and and that's all coming together but i agree with you um there's nothing better than sitting around on a Sunday watching football and having some pints and dropping some bets with your buddies, you know, and not losing your shirt over it. And then, you know, at the end of the day, there's always a winner and they've got bragging rights. Right. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's what we, we really engage in. It's the best, honestly, industry to be in. It's so much fun. Like what's better than, betting and sports and data and tech. It's just, it's a fabulous fun industry. Well, I'm really glad it's, we're here. It's so damn stressful. <laughs> you know, now again, like I, I got to say, like I move hundreds and hundreds of dollars, of, if not close to a thousand, meaning bet and won and lost in a, in on a Sunday. But right. it's just so damn stressful. And sometimes I have to, you know, you do have to take that health break. But I, I just quickly want to add this one key component that we haven't really touched on yet. Um, is the in arena uh, live element to this, right? right? And I was in Thailand. I went to a Muay Thai fight and seeing the people in the arena gambling, the locals, was so fun and so intense. that It was mm-hmm. incredible. But I, I think, you know, we've all worked in the sports industry and in live sports. Now I worked at uh, MSG in the Knicks. No problem getting fans in the arena, right? But I worked for, for the Timberwolves. I couldn't give away tickets to the game. Uh, people would run away f- from me in the streets. So I think for we're seeing less and less people going to the stadium. It's fun to watch at home. Just like you said, grab some beers, watch on your huge screen TV. You get to gamble from your phone. But now if we can add in those live elements, just like people love going to the horse track, right? And making the live bets in between the races. That's, I think, a huge component for these leagues to get fans back in the arena and add another element to the live experience that could differentiate potentially what you get uh, by sitting at home. I don't know if it'll cover enough ground, but do you all feel that that is a, a, a potential big shift in getting fans back into these arenas and having these teams be able to uh, to make their revenue goals uh, through ticketing? Yes, absolutely. We're talking to a ton of companies right now, um, some of our partners already and customers that are doing exactly that. Uh, the focus right now is to get everybody back in, you know, buying the tickets, making that atmosphere, uh, moving towards that in-game betting, moving towards that content uh, in the states that don't quite have, obviously, the bill passed and legalized. They're all focusing on free-to-play and kind of having those 
fun gambling moments, um, but without money, they kind of pass out swag. So it's definitely the direction that a lot of companies are going. And from what we're hearing, leagues and teams are also going for those buy-ins and they're really supporting them. They're signing the contracts, they're supporting uh, these apps and, and programs being built. So it's definitely something we're going to be seeing and that in-game betting is going to be a huge thing. Uh, for when people are actually sitting and watching the game live. And you have the resurgence of sport lounges, right? You have arenas that are putting sports lounges right in there. So you're going to come into the game, you're going to drop mm-hmm. some bets, and then you're going to sit in your seat, and you're going to track your bets, and they're going to publish some stuff on the, the digital scoreboard, and it's just going to keep people engaged, and you'll see a lot of emotions mm-hmm. flying high. So that is really exciting, especially, like Danielle said, free-to-play hey, if you get these three profits right in the next 15 minutes, you are rewarded shirt or you're getting some, you know, confectionery goods. Um, So I think that's a whole area that's going to really drive the leagues, um, you know, and any supporting vendors in the leagues. Oh, absolutely. And if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan like me, um, getting, you know, free beer at that, if you're going to even win it for a free to play, <laughs> it's kind of a big deal because it's like $20 a cup. So, I mean, I think there's lots of fans that are like, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was really fun catching up with both of you and, and hearing more about quarter four and where can people learn more about the company, connect with you guys. And when we, when we stop recording, I'd love to know how the three of us can be added to uh, Kelly and Daniela's daily picks group text. That's a whole Please different topic me. that we can, we can discuss after we uh, stop this recording. Yeah, uh, quarter4.io is our uh, official website, and Danielle and I are on LinkedIn. We actually do give uh, free picks a couple a day on our Instagram, which is quarter4io, and Twitter is quarter4io. So if you follow those, you will get some golden goodies. Uh, we tend to do a couple of props and a couple of uh, team bets uh, daily. So check in there. That's a wrap for this week. Thanks for listening to the We Need to Be Doing That podcast. Visit we need to be doing that.com for more episodes and contact information. 